This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to Fantasy Football Today, DFS. My name is Sia Najad. That, the person you see on YouTube, which you should be watching on YouTube as well, is Mike McClure, of course. And we are really close, Mike. We are really, really close to NFL action. We got a Thursday showdown slate, which we talked about on Tuesday. But of course, we've got the main slate, the afternoon slate. Whatever slate you want to play on Sunday, it's practically here, right? It is practically here. Yeah, it's, you know, that's the great thing about Labor Day, too, in general, just having what feels like a Monday. It's actually Tuesday. We're one day closer to a showdown slate. Uh, Let's go. Can't wait for this, man. Let's do it. So today we're actually going to talk about some stacks that we want to attack in it for the main slate. Again, um, I don't know that DraftKings has released the afternoon slate yet. So, you know, this some of this does apply to the afternoon slate. But like we've talked about in the past, you can do different things with the afternoon slate than, than you do with the main slate. So we can talk about that another time. But we want to talk about some of the games that we want to attack, some of the stacks we want to attack. And then Towards the end of the show, we're going to talk about some low-end players. And by low-end, I mean low-priced players that maybe we want to jam in our lineup to make our lineup make sense with our higher-priced Christian McCaffrey's, our higher-priced Los Angeles Chargers stacks, you know, things of that nature. So we're going to look at some stacks. We're going to look at some bargain bins players, and we're just going to go from there. Mike, you ready to roll? I'm ready to roll. Let's do it. So let's start, I guess, in order. I mean, we're not going to cover every single game. That's what we're going to do on Thursday. Thursday is going to be a great show. We're going to fly through every single game. We're going to talk about the players that I like. We're going to talk about the players that Mike likes. And you'll be able to build sort of your core around that to the extent you want to adopt some of the players that in stacks that we're going to be focused on. But I just wanted to highlight some games for this Tuesday show that I know that I'm at least interested in. And you'll see, Mike, when we get into this, there's one game in particular that I think I'm I'm really in love with, and I'm just going to construct stacks around that game every which way that I possibly can. But I do want to start with a 1 o'clock game that we talked about last week. Uh, we've talked about for quite some time. It's the Eagles and the Lions. That total has sort of flirted, you know, going up and going down. I think it opened at 46. It went up to 49. I see it now down at 48 and a half. Eagles are a four-point favorite. It's a really tricky game to me, Mike, because – On the Eagles side of the ball, we know we can expose the Lions through the pass and through the run. The the issue I have is I'm just not confident in any pass catchers in this game from a volume standpoint because I know, especially in the latter half of the season, how much the Eagles 
committed to the running game. Of course, that makes Jalen Hurts very valuable, but we have a muddled running game. We have receivers that, you know, obviously some high-profile receivers that could get loose very easily in this game. But just from a game script standpoint and from a passing volume standpoint, I'm genuinely just not sure. Where do you land on this game? Yeah, I'm not exactly sure either. I think that if you're going to play something in this game, you need to make up your mind and have a definitive game script in mind. So normally with this team, you don't necessarily have to because Jalen Hurts is dual threat quarterback. Even in this league, he's a true dual threat quarterback. So typically you'll see a lot of people want to stack those guys because they can build stacks that kind of work no matter the game script. For me, I think that for this stack to really pay off and really work, you need to build for the game script in which the game is ultra competitive and the scenario where the Eagles might even be trailing in this game, Mm -hmm. which is going to mean Jalen Hurts and pass catchers. So Mm -hmm. for me, you can play Jalen Hurts anytime by by himself, right? But if I'm playing Jalen Hurts this week, right now, the way it looks... I'm going to double stack him, double handcuff here with A.J. Brown and Dallas Goddard. Uh, That is the way that I am going to play it here. Uh, Look, it's not the cheapest stack in the world. It's tough to get to Goddard at 4,500 with the opportunity cost there. You still have Travis Kelsey, only 6,600. We would expect Travis Kelsey to be 72 to 7,800, especially with Tyreek Hill's volume out of that offense. So it's a great buy low spot on Kelsey this week, which makes makes it tougher to get to Goddard. Uh, But I do like this individual handcuff that we've got here on the screen on YouTube if you're watching. Jalen Hurts, A.J. Brown, Dallas Goddard, building for the scenario that the game is ultra competitive and or the Eagles are trailing. So I really like what you mentioned there because I think we're so beholden to what the lines are that we can't conceive of a scenario where actually the Eagles might be trailing to the Detroit Lions. And we see it every year, right? We see really bad teams beat teams that, let's say they're eight or nine point dogs. I think it was Jacksonville and the Colts a couple of years ago where Jacksonville upset the Colts. They were eight, nine, ten point dogs. So we see that, especially in a four point game, you're playing at Detroit. There is absolutely a scenario where Eagles are playing comeback ball against a very motivated Detroit Lions team that really is starting zero, like they're 0-0, right? They're in first place. They're tied for first. Like, I know that sounds ridiculous, but everybody's operating with a clean slate here. And Detroit is going to go out there and and try to prove to everybody that they're a legit team. I like the Eagles in this game. Don't get me wrong. But yeah, you got to, especially these tighter spreads, you have to consider the, the reverse game script than what the spread is indicating because that can give you a different construction than what you're going to see the, the average player play. I'll tell you one thing that I thought would be a little contrarian here, Mike, and we'll talk about this more on Thursday, but TJ Hawkinson is sort of, he's become a forgotten guy. And, you know, the last couple of years we've seen him blocking maybe more than, than we thought. But I do think we're going to see a lot of opportunities here, especially since, well, first of all, last year, I think, I can't remember the stat, but he had, I think, 89 yards, but I think he caught like 10 balls. And this is an Eagles defense that classically, at least last year, wasn't very good against the tight end. I'm not saying I'm going to jam in Hawkinson and like all my single entries, but as a, you know, Hawkinson and Amon Ross St. Brown, and we're not looking at ownership yet, but I see them as pretty decent pivots if you want to stack this game off a of popular DeAndre Swift, for example. Is, is someone like Hawkinson or Amon Ross St. Brown on your radar? Uh, Hawkinson is for sure. Um, so if you watched the show last year, I know a lot of you did. I know a lot of you have not. I, one thing I like to do in a lot of my contests is I still play a lot of double tight ends. It's very unconventional to waste. I say waste. It, people mm-hmm. think it's wasting a, a roster spot, a flex spot on a tight end. Uh, but I treat the high end tight ends like 
high-end wide receivers, right? So Travis Kelsey, to me, is not a tight end. He is a wide receiver that I get to play at the tight end spot. So the reason why I like Hawkinson and Dallas Goddard, frankly, on the other side, is we know a lot of the ownership is going to be concentrated towards Travis Kelsey in a great matchup. I like the ability to play two of these guys, whether it's Goddard and Hawkinson in the same game stack. That right there is enough differentiation for you to play the chalk at literally every other spot in your lineup for the most mm-hmm. part, right? If you find the good chalk, identify it and are correct good chalk, having those two in the same lineup like that is literally going to be enough differentiation in a week one when there's enough value across the board anyway. Uh, so the short answer, I guess, is yes, I do like Hawkinson. I think that he's going to absolutely be a critical piece for the Lions. Uh, it's just a matter uh, of how effectively are they going to move the football against this defense. I am in the camp that tends to think that they're going to move the ball with some success. I'm expecting a very competitive game here. Yeah, I think I'm expecting a competitive game as well. I do expect the Lions to be trailing for most of the game. So I see a scenario where Jalen Hurts runs the, runs the show. Maybe he scores a touchdown. Maybe the running backs get involved. He throws a touchdown pass or two. But at the end of the day, I, I do see perhaps a trailing game script that, that involves, yes, DeAndre Swift, but also TJ Hawkinson, Amon Ross St. Brown. I think this is an interesting game. We'll, we'll sort of be a little bit more definitive with our plays on the Thursday show here. But this next game, Raiders-Chargers, 52-point total. Chargers, of course, favored in this game by three and a half. This is a really interesting game to me. And and honestly, I think this is the game. This is what I was referring to at the front end of the show. I think this is the game that I'm going to have stacked several different ways because I love how it lines up. Okay, the Chargers, third highest pass percentage in the league last year at 61.4%. Raiders, seventh highest at 60.3%. Both were in the top half of the league in plays per game. Both teams were in the top seven in points allowed per game last year. Chargers at 27 points and Raiders at 25.8 points. Now, listen, Mike, I, I know that, and, and, and I think this is a good pivot. I know that last week we talked about perhaps Eckler being the focal point and perhaps the pace not being as fast as people think. And I think that's a perfect play from a pivoting off of like the conventional wisdom standpoint. With that said, I really do like a lot of the pass catchers here. I, I like both quarterbacks. Of course, I like Eckler as well. Um, where do you stand today on this game, knowing that it's early? Yeah, I like it's yeah, still very early. I like the game. Uh, I'm still on the side of I, I like Austin Eckler just because of the price point, because of the depth at the position. Uh, I'm a little, you know, one thing I want to point out here, it's kind of I wouldn't normally recommend looking at game logs from last season. Uh, week 18. That we, we saw this matchup. The thing that stands out a ton in this matchup is, is Austin Eckler with 12 targets in this mm-hmm. game. It's something about the edge rushing from the Vegas team. Uh, I think that we could see a lot of checkdowns, a lot of dump offs here to Austin Eckler. We're playing on DraftKings, a full point PPR site. Um, you know, the conventional thing that most people want to do here is they want to play Justin Herbert and stack him with the wide receivers. I personally like to go. A little opposite in this one. I like Austin Eckler a lot. Uh, I think he's a fantastic play that certainly won't have the ownership level that he necessarily, I won't say deserves, but the ownership level will not reflect his true upside, if that makes sense. It does. Let me ask you, when it comes to easy targets, because I, I agree with you when it comes to that Raiders pass rush, that's definitely a factor to consider when it comes to Eckler. Is it also a factor to consider with Gerald Everett? And, and there's so much of an unknown with Gerald Everett, so it's really hard to yep. say to definitively how confident we can be. But when it comes to Gerald Everett, 
you know, he seems to be in a really good situation, especially when you look at Justin Herbert, how he targeted tight ends in the red zone, whether that was Jared Cook or Donald Parham or the third tight end, who I'm forgetting his name right now, I think it was Anderson. These were guys that were heavily targeted. It seems like Gerald Everett's going to soak up a lot of these targets potentially. Yeah, I definitely think that he can. Uh, I where I expect it to hurt some of the other weapons, uh, you know, like Williams and like Keenan Allen here is in the red zone. I would expect some of his their overall market share of red zone targets to decrease uh, this season with the way this lineup, this roster is constructed right now. So I like Everett. the The problem with Everett simply becomes the position that he plays and, and the opportunity cost overall. So I don't hate it. I don't hate it. Uh, if you're going to do it, though, I personally only really have interest in doing it if it's with Justin Herbert. Um, you know, the, the likelihood that they only score one passing touchdown or two in the game and they both go to Everett is relatively low. Mm-hmm. Um, so for Everett to have a big enough game to really pay off this price tag here, uh, I think the correlation with his quarterback at Herbert is just simply too high to ignore. So uh, I would play them together if you're going to play them. And before we move on to the next game, Mike, one thing I know I'm going to put you on the spot with when it comes when it comes to our Thursday show, because this game, I think, needs to be sort of talked about at a really high level is the target distribution that you anticipate on the Raiders side of the ball, not just the Charger side, because we have Waller, who appears to be healthy enough for week one. I'm not sure he was injured in the first place, of course, because he had those contract uh, issues come up. But then, of course, we have Devontae Adams and Hunter Renfro, who, oh, by the way, if you want to talk about red zone. Last year, 38% of the Raiders' targets inside the 10-yard line went to Hunter Renfro. So we know how much of a beast Devontae Adams is inside the red zone, inside the 20, inside the 10, inside the 5. Well, Renfro is that same guy, at least in terms of the the target distribution. So I think it's super interesting to, to play those guys as well. Yeah, I think it's super interesting to play them. I'm glad you mentioned Renfro, 38% in the red zone, uh, you know, inside the 10-yard line. Like, absolutely insane, right? Uh, I would bet a significant sum of money that that number decreases significantly. <laughs> yes. Uh, I So far to the point that I would be, honestly, I'd be shocked if it was above 15% with the current roster setup. I, I think it goes all the way down to 15 to 20%. I'm expecting major, major regression in that form if everyone remains healthy, right? Uh, we, we believe they're all healthy, ready to go here in week one. The thing that scares me about Renfro is, yes, he has a ton of great box scores, he has a knack for finding the end zone. Having that many opportunities obviously helps. But there were a couple of games against some of these opponents where he, he even in the last year's setup without Devontae Adams and some question marks around Waller, where he's only seeing four to five targets a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, at at 5,800, yes, he's performed like a $7,200 wide receiver. But in the current situation, I'm not sure that he's a $5,800 player. I think he's closer to a $4,800 player. And I, you guys may totally disagree with me on that, but if that 38% inside the 10 drops meaningfully, like I think it will, I, I don't know that I could justify him being almost $6,000 on a main slate. Oh, I, I totally agree with that. The only counter would be everybody agrees with you there. I think nobody wants to yeah. play him at 5,800. And when we start to see ownership, which we'll get an idea of on the Thursday show, but I know, I know, Mike, you don't really truly dive into ownership in terms of making your lineups until Friday. But generally on Thursday, we have a pretty good idea of where it's going. And, and I just don't think Renfro, listen, people are going to go Adams or they're going to go Waller. Renfro is going to get ignored. So if he somehow can muster up seven catches and 70 yards and, and two touchdowns in a high scoring game and Devontae doesn't get the touchdowns, he just gets a handful of receptions, then all of a sudden, 
sudden you have just this wonderful pivot. But no, I I agree with you when it comes to his target share, particularly inside uh, the red zone. Can't wait to talk about that game more on Thursday. Packers, Vikings. Uh, This one's interesting for a couple reasons because, you know, with Raiders Chargers, we don't really know, though the problem with that game is the target distribution on both sides of the ball. In this game, I think by Thursday, by our Thursday show, certainly by Friday or Saturday, I think we're going to get a lot more clarity on where the ball is going, particularly on the Packers side. We have some injuries to consider. Alan Lazard, a guy we liked as kind of a sneaky play, partly because of where his price point was. Uh, you know, we don't know if he's going to play week one. Uh, we have Aaron Jones, who we know is going to get a lot of targets. Mike, I know you love Aaron Jones for that game. I absolutely love Aaron Jones for that game. You got A.J. Dillon, but who's the receiver to go to? Are, are we are we going to be resorting to Romeo Dobbs? Are we going to be resorting to Christian Watson and, and Randall Cobb? It's an interesting discussion. Then, oh, by the way, David Bakhtiari, we don't know if he's going to be back. So, you know, that's why on the Tuesday show, we still have some questions that are unanswered. But I'm curious where your thoughts are on this game. The total has gone down from 48 to 47, sort of trending down, but that's still a very high total. Uh, it's still a very high total. Uh, I Look, right now it's Aaron Jones. I, I love him. Uh, the issue for me is I love a lot of running backs in, in that range. But I do love Aaron Jones. I think he's going to be heavily involved in the passing game and obviously still going to see touches on the ground. It's going to be both of the running backs. Um, He's going to have the workload. I think the biggest question for me is, do we know anything about Robert Tanyan? Is he potentially going to suit up for the regular season opener? Is he not? Like, if, If he does, we might see a scenario where Aaron Rodgers just feeds these guys. It might be Robert Tanyan and Aaron Jones show. Uh, And Mm -hmm. his price point is, you know, we talk about, I talk about it a lot, is uh, price points reflecting someone's true value and true upside. With Devontae Adams gone and the red zone opening up a ton, if this team can still move the football, I don't think that the $3,900 price tag necessarily reflects his overall upside in this offense if he's healthy, if he's available to play. So I want to see any sort of news that, that we can on this one. Uh, because I have quite a bit of interest in tournaments taking a flyer on Tanyan if he's available to play. And yeah, Lazard that, is out. Yeah, that's going to be really interesting. Because, again, I, I think in a game with this type of total, if we can get the target share condensed and those players still are just lesser owned in, in a higher scoring game, then I think we can kind of really smash. Because I think we kind of know where the ball is going on the Viking side but it's really hard to say where it's going on the Green Bay side. But certainly that's going to open up value potentially as well. So that is a game to really, really monitor, keep an eye on. Uh, The next game, listen, we've talked about this a lot. We're going to talk about it some more on Thursday, but Chiefs-Cardinals. This one's really interesting, Mike, and and I'll probably have some questions for you even today on the receiver core because that that is a, a question I think is still left unanswered for almost everybody. But what's interesting in this game, the line opened at three, I believe. It's now Chiefs minus six. Uh, I completely understand that line move. I'm surprised it opened up at three in the first place, but it's a 54-point total. It's the highest total uh, of of the main slate. Um, Where do we see this game in terms of from a stack standpoint? Where are you looking at it right now? Yeah, it's super interesting. I'll hit on the uh, the line movement first, honestly. Uh, Six is is a big number. I expect this thing to go back to five. Personally, Mm -hmm. I expect it to kind of close in that range. Six is basically saying that, you know, on a, on a neutral field, this line should be eight, eight and a, eight and a half, eight point two, eight point three points uh, over full 10, 10 full points. If this game were in Kansas City, kind of a big number here. Um, I, I get it with the way the teams are banged up, but 
Man, I, I like the Chiefs. Uh, I think the problem now becomes everyone's going to like them after seeing that kind of line movement um, and, and the total where it's sitting. Um, I, I really like them, though. I mentioned it earlier a couple times in the show. Travis Kelsey is not a $6,600 player, especially when Tyreek Hill is not on the field to take mm-hmm. away some of those targets. Um, I, I think you got to play him. Yeah, this one's interesting. I think this is a game I'm going to be focused on from a skinny stack standpoint as opposed to stacking a quarterback. And and that's not because I hate this game. It's because I like other games so much. That doesn't mean one of my, you know, five or ten you know, single entry lineups. I haven't decided how many I'm going to do. It'll probably be closer to the five range, Mike, just like you, where I'm sort of condensing my player pool and and, and increasing my my entry size and not you know proliferating and going to all of the, all of the tournaments. But I, I haven't exactly decided how I'm going to do that. But I do like the Kelsey idea and and bringing him back with. We're going to talk about a bargain tight end that I, I'm really curious about. But we're, I'm going to wait till later in the show on that. I do want to ask you about somebody though, Marquise Brown. So what's interesting about Marquise Brown is we see him as a deep threat, and he is a deep threat. And he proved that when he was playing with Kyler Murray at Oklahoma, and he certainly has proven it with the Ravens on occasion as well. But he got a lot of targets inside the 10, inside the 20 last year for the Baltimore Ravens. And I see him with D-Hop out, with potentially Zach Ertz out. And really, you know, none of the backup, like the back, Antoine Wesley is likely out. You know, you got Rondale Moore. There's, there's not a lot there. A.J. Green, 34 years old. I see Marquise Brown potentially in a trailing game script, not only getting the long targets, but perhaps the short targets too. I, it wouldn't shock me at all if this is a 10-target game for Marquise Brown. Is he on your radar at all? He's on the radar for sure. Um, the reason why I like him too is the price point, honestly. Uh, I don't think anyone's going to play him at this price point at 6200 yeah. I think it's tough to get there. I think there are better options. Uh, but he has elite upside. Uh, there, there's no denying the elite upside that he has. Um so yes, he he's in consideration. I'm not playing him as a one-off play. Uh, the only way I'm playing Marquise Brown is part of a Kansas City stack, which for me personally would include Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey. Um, the only way that I see Marquise Brown having a really big enough game that he he is in an optimal lineup or is at least close and relevant is the scenario that the Chiefs are playing pretty well and, and that they are trailing, that they are kind of having to force feed him out of necessity. Let me ask you a quick question before, again, we'll talk more about this game later, but I know you you love, and, and we all love just like really overstacking a game because we know if we're right about the game, then we, we have, th- there's not as much we have to be right about with the other games. Let me just throw something out at you. Patrick Mahomes stacked with Travis Kelsey and an affordable, let's say, Juju or, or Marcus Valdez-Scantling, depending on how much you have left. And you bring it back with Marquise Brown and James Conner, thinking, well, James Conner is going to be involved in the passing and the running game. Is that a scenario from a stack and bring back standpoint that is viable or not really? It is viable. Um, so what I would recommend doing there, obviously, is – Totally fading whatever game you believe to be the best game of the day, uh, whether it's Los Angeles or you not know, believe like think the public believes is the best game of the day. Uh, I would totally avoid the Las Vegas and Chargers game in, in that kind of a lineup or any of the games on the early slate. I would totally stack up the whatever you can late to give yourself a ton of roster flexibility uh, to adjust. But what you need for that to really work is you need one of those other games to not do the same thing to not shoot out. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's something that I, I could see myself getting to the more likely scenario though, is 
one of Brown and Connor. Um, yeah. What would be the likely scenario there for me? Fair enough. Okay. We're going to move on and to probably, a- oh, sorry, I have to say, and probably where Marquise Brown is, it would probably be an additional Kansas City player. Um, it, it would, I would like to basically triple stack uh, Kansas City side with Mahomes. We, we've seen it a number of times in the past where Mahomes has a five touchdown day to three different receivers. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's the likely scenario that's really going to put that lineup above in, in tournaments. So that's how I would build it personally. Fair enough. All right. Well, we'll definitely be talking about your stacks in that game on Thursday. I'll tell you what, if you're watching us on YouTube, youtube.com uh, slash fantasy football today, you've noticed for the last few weeks, we've had the DraftKings stuff up. We, we, we've been showing you statistics and we'll be doing that the entire year. So it's just easier for you to follow if you're actually watching us. But more importantly, I just want to point out that it's Frank Stample, our, our old host, uh, that's been bringing that stuff up. And I want to bring Frank on because I think a lot of people are asking, well, where the heck is Frank? And oh, there you are. He's right there. Frank, how are you? I'm doing well, buddy. How are you? So everybody wants to know. I get DMs every single day on the hour, maybe like 50 or 100 on the hour. Where's Frank? This show isn't nearly as good uh, without like we need Frank back. Uh, But tell us what you're doing and where you're going. See, I thought we were friends, buddy. You're not supposed to lie to your friends. Come on. (laughs) Well, (laughs) so it's it's probably been a long time coming. People might be wondering, well, where's Frank? You know, I was here last year and hosted with these guys and they did a tremendous job. And anyone who was with us last year and has come back to either listen or watch us. So obviously we appreciate uh, all of your support. But I just got a few other things going on at the start of the football season. Baseball is still going on. I'm hosting the baseball podcast. Going to hop on some live streams during the football season with Adam Azer and the season-long football guys as well. So I didn't want to stretch myself too thin. And I think that you guys are in perfect hands with Sia and Mike anyway. So in order to get the best product out there, the best DFS product for the entirety of the season... Uh, I'm not going to be around hosting. I'll be in the background. I'll, I'll help these guys with production and rundown and whatever else they need. But you're in perfect hands. Seeing Mike, obviously, these guys know what they're doing. Uh, but yeah, that's that's the story for me. I got a lot of baseball still going on. I got some other season-long football uh, obligations as well. But you guys, well, for- you guys do a great job anyway. You don't need me. Frank, appreciate you. We we always think we need you, and I think we do. Anytime you want to come back and pop on the show, and I know you might be helping us out for another week or two sort of behind the scenes, but uh, hopefully everybody's following Frank's stuff um, at baseball, uh, the, all the baseball podcasts and what he's going to be doing with uh, fantasy football today as well. So, Frank, uh, thanks a lot for sticking around and helping us out with the transition. And uh, everybody, please make sure you follow Frank and make sure you're – reviewing his podcast and that you're reviewing rating and reviewing this FFT DFS podcast because all that stuff helps quite a bit. Yeah, for sure. Uh, echo everything that Sia said. If you guys want picks from my dad, I'm sure I can make that happen throughout the yes. course of the season. The Don. <laughs> Something we did last year, but uh, if you don't, that's okay too. No, we want it. We want the Don. We need the Don. Yes, we need the recordings as well. So please uh, get on that for us, Frank. I appreciate it. I got you. you. I got you guys, but I'll let you get back to it. Alrighty. Well, we are going to talk about a few more games and then we're going to get into our bargain bin. We're just going to do a rapid fire. Some like some guys, and I, this is an arbitrary number that I came up with, 5,500 and below on DraftKings that we think may present some value. We're going to go all the way down to like 2,900, 3,000, some guys that we may or may not want to play. Um, but before we get into some more stacks to, to potentially play and that bargain bin, we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our partners. 
Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast hey i'm brett podolsky co-founder of the farmer's dog we make fresh food for dogs we started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog jada when she stopped eating ultra processed kibble and started eating fresh whole food the farmer's dog food isn't fancy it's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs it's better for them and easier for you Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. And we are back. Honorable mention, Mike. So here's a few games that I think are interesting. I know you like a couple of pieces from at least one of these games, if not a couple of them. But I just wanted to mention them. We don't need to go too deep into them. We can talk about it more on Thursday. But Steelers-Bengals, it's a 44.5 point total. Uh, I I just, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of high power in this in this game, even though it's going to be a slow pace and it's likely a, a low total. But again, you brought up in the beginning of this show that the Lions Eagles game, you made, you just made an example like go with the contrarian viewpoint in terms of like the Eagles are favored by four. Go with the contrarian uh, game script. Well, there is a game script with the Steelers Bengals where this goes over the 44 and a half point total where this shoots out for 50. And I, I think you can say that about a lot of the games, including Honestly, I think Washington and Jacksonville at a 44-point total. I think that over could come in depending on how that game goes. But I just wanted your thoughts on Steelers-Bengals in terms of is this just a pull a piece from this game situation or if I'm making five or ten lineups, maybe I'm stacking this game too. If you're making five or ten lineups, I don't have a problem stacking this game. Uh, there are a number of electric players in this game. The targets are still relatively concentrated. Like you, We know pretty pretty surely where, where most of the targets are going in this game. Uh, and you've got running backs that are very talented as well. If you want to play those kind of pieces in terms of both, they can catch passes out of the backfield and go for chunk plays when doing so. Um, so yeah, I think there are a lot of worse games to stack. I think the big issue really that I have with it, frankly, is Joe Burrow's price point. Uh, it's 6,400. There's just so many, you know, you're not gaining a ton by, by playing him um, just because there's so many quarterbacks in that range. But I, I do, I do like the pieces in this game pretty, pretty significantly. I think that there is a scenario, like it's hard to say because you could say this about a lot of games. Um, but I truly believe it. Out of all the games out there, in terms from a total points in the game perspective, 
this might have the widest range of outcomes of any game on the mm-hmm. slate. Uh, yeah. This game being a 13 to 10 game with like a sloppy 13 to 10 game is certainly within the range of outcomes. The Bengals winning this game 41, 27 is also something that we could see. And we have seen in the past from matchups like this. Um, so I think it has a massive range of outcomes. I think that if you're someone who's expanding your player pool, expanding the number of lineups that you want to build, I think it's one of the better games uh, to take a contrarian viewpoint on this week. Yeah. And, and on Thursday, I'm going to, uh, you know, I'll, I'll have some plays for this game as well. I know you like Najee Harris, but I think it's really interesting on both sides of the ball in terms of which receivers to select. Obviously, you can have the T. Higgins debate and the Jamar Chase debate all you want. Maybe maybe you consider Boyd and, and, and Mixon in the backfield, of course. But on the other side of the ball, it's really tricky with the receiving core. And maybe we learn some new information over the next couple of days because uh, I know there's some uh, injury concerns on the Pittsburgh side of the ball, but we'll have to uh, we'll have to wait and see on that one. But that, I do think that game is really interesting. Uh, a couple other games to touch on. I'm going to touch on the Giants Titans real quick, and I only do that because Mike, everybody wants to jam in like Christian McCaffrey and you know whatever you name the high profile player. Of course, Jonathan Taylor, um, but there's high profile receivers that people want to jam in as well. Of course, and you can do that. If you were to do something crazy like a Daniel Jones and Wandale Robinson stack, for example, whether you have, you know, let's just assume you have a bring back, but it's a it's it's a high, you know, it's a low price bring back, or maybe you do it with Derrick Henry. The the point is, if you did something like that, and I think the Washington game, you can do something at least somewhat similar with a low price Trevor Lawrence, and you can just pick a receiver, whether it's Marvin Jones or Christian Kirk or something like that. Uh, it, is that something you would ever do if you again? Let's just assume you're only making five lineups. Is that something you would do? It is. Uh, yeah, it's something I would do in general. It's not necessarily something I want to do a lot uh, in this particular game. Um, but in general, yes, there there are weeks. It's typically only occurs when it's a backup quarterback situation where I, I get to play the five thousand or forty two hundred dollar quarterback. Uh, which happens to pair him with a, a cheap pass catcher. Then we throw used to throw in Christian McCaffrey, Jonathan Taylor, Devontae Adams, whatever you want, right? Uh, so I'm never going to say no, don't do that, especially when you have a, a quarterback with, with someone who's catching passes. It, it is a correlated play. It makes a lot of sense. Um, for me, I just I don't know that I like this Giants offense enough yet. Uh, and then it's very early to do this, but I really recommend doing it, especially this time of year because you're not used to doing it as much this time of year, check the weather. Uh, this mm. game is going to be dealing with some pretty significant thunderstorms as of now. Uh, could be a very, it's supposed to rain for four or five days in a row here in Nashville. Um, it could be a sloppy field conditions. It could be a very ugly game if they're forced to play through some of that. Um, not the situation I want to get into. There's enough value in week one at other places that I don't feel forced to do it. So, yes, it's a great strategy for most weeks of the year. I personally don't think it's the best strategy in week one. Yeah, the the only thing I'll point out is it it is a new offensive system. It is Brian Dable. But honestly, the the Giants are so hamstrung with injuries right now that I don't think Brian Dable is going to be like pulling out all the stops week one at Tennessee. So I I think you're still looking at a slow pace, which is what we saw from both of these teams last year, and looking at a a conservative game plan all around. I mean, it's just the the, the Giants receiver core is is pretty much decimated. And we'll we'll touch on Wondale Robinson one more uh, before this show is out. But the last game I did want to touch on is my Washington football team, otherwise known as the Commanders, against the Jaguars. 44-point total. 
the the uh, football team is favored by two and a half. I can't get used to the commanders, Mike. I just can't do it. Um, I'm just going to go football team for now. Uh, This line, I think, opened at three and a half. It went down to three. Now it's two and a half. Um, Thoughts on this game? Is there a scenario where this low total, much like the Steelers-Bengals, it's the same total, 44 and a half, actually goes over and we have some legit fantasy relevance on both sides of the ball? I say yes, but with a very important little asterisk. I think the only way it does is if the Jaguars are just a lot better than we think they are. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's the only way it well. happens. Yeah. Uh, the only way to me it happens is Trevor Lawrence is just taking a really big step forward. Having Travis Etienne out there making plays is helps him a ton, right? Um, if that happens, yes, this could turn it. Because I still don't think they're going to be all that great on the other side of the football as well. I think I think they're going to allow some points and some yardage. Um, so, yeah, I think that if you're building for that scenario, it's got to be a Trevor Lawrence lineup for me. Completely agree. And I, I think Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick are interesting plays on a bring back, depending on, you know, if listen, if you think the game script is the Jags just jump on the, the football team, which is certainly possible, I hope that doesn't happen, but it's certainly possible. I think McKissick probably gets incorporated into that game plan way more than Antonio Gibson does. And he's lesser. He's, I think, 5,100 versus 5,800. But the reason I'm even bringing up this game, for those of you that weren't just looking at this on YouTube, is that Trevor Lawrence is, what is he, 5,600? And so you can pair Trevor Lawrence with Christian Kirk or get super contrarian with Marvin Jones, who is a a, a great, well, at least last year, was a, an excellent red zone target for the Jaguars. I, I think that's something you can do. And oh, by the way, both of these teams were top 10 in points allowed last year. Jaguars allowed 26.9 points per game. The Commanders 25.5. And the Jags passed at the sixth highest rate last year at 60.6%. That's 60.6% versus their run percentage. So this is a scenario that, listen, if this game gets to like 27 to 20, or that's that's not high enough, maybe 27, 24, 30 to 27, uh, it wouldn't shock me at all. And that would, that would blow the total uh, – out of the water there. So I think that's an interesting sort of contrarian game to, to play. All right, Mike, let's go to the bargain bin. And again, I arbitrarily made this number. It's not really a bargain if the person's 5,500, but I wanted, I wanted to incorporate uh, some more. I mean, I guess it is depending on the player, but I wanted to incorporate a few more players here. So this is just going to be rapid fire for the most part. I'm going to go through some running backs, some wide receivers, some tight ends that I think are a value in, in this, list is not exhaustive so please feel free to add somebody mike or or um you know we'll hit some of these guys on, on thursday as well but i want to start with clyde edwards hilaire at 5400 this is a guy i was kind of high on in terms of taking a piece out of this game if you're not going to take the passing game if you're basically fading the game from a passing standpoint are you like i still like clyde edwards hilaire but i feel like other value has opened up a little bit are you still liking this as sort of a contrarian piece from this game yeah, I am. Uh, I, I like him a lot. So I, I'm just looking at my very early run of projections. And just in terms of value overall, I, I still have him as a top three overall value at the position. Uh, it's McCaffrey, who I'm just way high on uh, because of the game script, and then Barkley, and then CEH. Uh, so he, CEH is the first guy that fits the criteria of under 5,500, um, which for me will make him playable in all formats on his own, and even in the lineup with Patrick Mahomes when you're building for the scenario that the Kansas City Chiefs score 40 points in this game. I love it. Okay, let's go down to Elijah Mitchell at 5,400. I think this is a great situation for him if he's healthy and if they want to use him the entire game. 
they're going to be playing from ahead. You can tie him. We talked about it last week. You can tie him to the 49ers defense. I love playing the 49ers defense kind of regardless because I think it's going to be a complete train wreck starting at week one for the Chicago Bears. But uh, is Elijah Mitchell just too risky because we're not sure what his status is? Yeah, I think it's too risky. Um, I don't think you're going to gain a ton of leverage by playing him because there are just so many great plays at the running back position. So I'm not worried about trying to get cute at running back and playing him uh, over some of the other guys. So like, let me quickly glance. Yeah, I mean, like the difference in projected ownership, again, it's very early uh, between Mitchell and CEH is less than 2% difference. Uh, I, I don't think that it's going to really be a massive difference, which tells me a lot of people aren't going to play Clyde Edwards and They're going to focus on the passing game like usual. Um, so the only way I'm playing Mitchell is with the 49ers D. AJ Dillon at 5,300. We love Aaron Jones, but is there a scenario? Let's say I'm making four lineups that are the Green Bay Minnesota stack, and I just love Aaron Jones. Is there a pivot to make to AJ Dillon at 5,300? There is. Uh, so how I'm playing Aaron Jones is by himself and with Aaron Rodgers, just because I think it's going to be heavy pass volume to him. If I'm playing A.J. Dillon, I'm not playing Aaron Rodgers. It's just mm-hmm. A.J. Dillon from the Packers side because the Packers move the ball, but Dillon gets the two to three goal line touchdowns. And at which point then I would be interested in playing uh, one of the pass catchers on the other side, but it would likely just be two solo pieces from the game. I, I don't, the, the For me, the scenario in which A.J. Dillon really has the game that pays off everything, it's more of the game that the Packers, not necessarily a shootout type of game, just a Packers game that they're in control of. He scores the goal line touchdowns, and there's middling performances on the other side where you can isolate one receiver, uh, but I don't envision it as a real game stack. Okay, let's go to Naheem Hines at 5,100. Uh, this is a play that I thought was interesting week one a few weeks ago. I'm not quite as interested in it now. I think the pivot off of Jonathan Taylor is probably going to be Michael Pittman, but it's not a true pivot because I'm assuming Pittman will carry some ownership. Um, Pittman, Jonathan Taylor, those will be the, the popular plays in this game, I'm assuming, without looking at ownership yet on this Tuesday afternoon. But Naheem Hines, does he, does he fit into the game plan at all? And, and if so, is it only if you're doing like 150 lineups, you want to carve out some space for something contrarian there? Yeah, I think it's only contrarian stuff. Uh, I don't think that, like for me to play Naeem Hines, I would need 20 lineups plus. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, a couple interesting ones, or three interesting ones uh, to close the running back list in, in the bargain bin. Rex Burkett at 4,900. Uh, is, is it a yes because of game script, or is it I just want to avoid the potential headache? I'm not exactly sure uh, of what his volume is going to be. It's mostly avoid. Uh, the only way I'm playing it is with a Matt Ryan build. It's a fade Jonathan Taylor. I play Matt Ryan, double handcuffed with Paris Campbell and Michael Pittman. Then I can run it back with Burkhead, looking for some of those passing volume. Um, but it, probably not something I'm really building for, again, unless I'm 20-plus lineups. This guy, it's a little shaky right now because we don't necessarily have all the news, but it does look like Mike Davis is likely to lead the Baltimore backfield in carries. He's 4,400. I think he's going to be a guy that a lot of people pivot to. We know he's operated as a pass catcher in the past as well. So on DraftKings where you're getting one point for a reception, you know he's going to get some of that work too if he is the lead back here. Mike Davis at 4,400 at the New York Jets. Thoughts here? If we have confirmation by Sunday that he's truly lead back status, yes. Uh, I think that he's someone you've got to include in your player pool at least. 
Amir Abdullah. This we talked about last week. It's that Chargers game. It's certainly not necessarily a primary piece, but in a game script where the Raiders are playing comeback ball, I I do think it's going to be Amir Abdullah versus Josh Jacobs that's going to catch those passes. I don't think it's going to be Zamir White. Uh, is this kind of a is this kind of like a two cute option twenty plus lineups you, you you throw him in or is this something that you could focus on if you're doing four four or three lineups and one of them has Amir Abdullah uh, as as a bring back for as one of two bring backs does that work for you? I don't mind it. I really don't mind it. It depends on the rest of your lineup. Um, the only scenario I see myself playing Amir Abdullah would be is if I were someone who wanted to play the afternoon only slate, that's when I would want to play them uh, because a $4,200 $4, price tag on the afternoon only slate, not a lot of people are going to jam him in there. They're going to want to, you know, Austin Eckler is going to be in that lineup in the late slate for sure. You're going to see a ton of Austin Eckler, Clyde Edwards or their lineups and move on, right? Uh, so it instantly creates some differentiation. The price point is obviously very different than those other two players. Um, so if it allows you to get someone else you really like uh, in an afternoon-only slate where there are a limited number of players on the slate anyway, uh, I'm okay with it in that scenario. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the afternoon slate too. C- keep in mind there's not just an afternoon slate, but there, there's an early game slate too. And I bring that up because Mike brought up, and he brought this up a lot last year too, but he brought up an interesting option in that Eagles game versus the Detroit Lions where you play two tight ends. And I, and I think that is an interesting thing because if you're playing the, the one o'clock or that's Eastern time, if you're playing the early slate of games, a lot of people will be zeroed in on that Philly Detroit game, but they're likely not going to be zeroed in on two tight ends. So you can still be on that game, a popular one, but you know that your lineup construction is going to be different because you're playing both TJ Hawkinson and Dallas Goddard. So those are just kind of little things to, to take away if you're if you're playing um, individual slates as opposed to the entire main slate. Let's go through a few receivers and a few tight ends before we close here. Um, we talked about Michael Pittman. I'll just we don't need to talk about him right now. We'll talk about him more uh, on Thursday. But Rashad Bateman at 5,300, not somebody I'm super interested in here, but perhaps perhaps Lamar takes some shots and perhaps you stack Lamar with a Rashad Bateman. I- I'm not super interested in it, but he's only 5,300. Yeah, not super interested. I really wish that this was 4,300. Obviously, that's getting very greedy saying that. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a little too rich on the price point. Um, so I'm going to pass on it, but I totally get why we're interested. Okay, let's run through a couple more. I'm going to pass over Juju because I know that and we and, and Christian Kirk because we talked about him. Elijah Moore at 5,100 as a bring back in that Ravens game. Interested there or is that secondary just going to be too tough? You're, you, you don't see the good volume there. Secondary too tough. Don't I mean look? It, it, the the opportunity could be there for sure. The game script could definitely provide the opportunity. Um, overall, I don't see myself wanting many pieces uh, of that game. I, I see bleeding clock from the Baltimore side pretty significantly. Um, not interested really at this point. Okay, we have on my list, I have MVS, Josh Palmer, and Guyton, but we're going to talk about those guys more on Thursday, and we've talked about them already a lot. We'll probably have a little bit more clarity there for for those two high-scoring games. But I did, before we get out of the receiver section, I want to ask you about Wandale Robinson. You know, it's so interesting because it, I don't think Tony's playing. He might, Kadarius Tony might play. So we'll, we'll have to right. wait and see on that. Uh, Sterling Shepard, we don't know how hobbled he is. Galladay appears to be hobbled as well. If it's just one of those three receivers that play, is Wandale Robinson at 3,000 a guy that you're interested in? Absolutely. Um, look, I, I'm interested in Kadarius Tony even a little bit if he plays. Uh, but if he doesn't play, yeah, I, I think Wandale Robinson is 
that free square, right? I, I think that you're going to see a lot of people playing him uh, just to open up everything else across the lineup. Really, especially if you want to play something like the 49ers defense where you're paying that elevated price tag. Um, so, yes, yeah, short answer is I love him. And then one more I know you had on your list, uh, Jahan Dotson. Mm-hmm. I like Dotson. Uh, I think that if you're playing anything on the, the Jacksonville side of the football, that that would be the way I personally would want to bring it back because the Jacksonville side is so cheap as well. Uh, it would really allow me to stack another game up with a lot of upside in the rest of the lineup. Yeah, Dotson appears to be a favorite of Carson Wentz in camp, that's for sure. Let's run through, uh, maybe let's let's take two tight ends. We already talked about Gerald Everett. Any interest in, yeah, this is this is probably a bad one, but Njoku seems like the ultimate contrarian play. He, his, his contract is enormous. He, he does appear to be a guy that's going to be featured, especially with some of the issues they have at receiver. We know Jacoby Brissett zeroes in over his career, zeroes in on the tight end. Any interest in David Njoku at 3,900? Yeah, I think that he's someone who's definitely playable. Um, the the problem for me is the, the top, right? So once again, I have my projections up right now. And I'm not sorting the projections by the highest projection. I'm sorting the projections by the best overall value at the position. And it's still Travis Kelsey. Uh, that's the problem for me, right? So when Travis Kelsey is the highest projected player by a pretty significant margin and the highest value overall, uh, I, I don't care about the ownership at that point. He's basically going to make the lineups considering the game that he's playing in. Um, so it, it immediately removes some of those other guys. But yes, Njoku is someone who I envision having to have a, a, a pretty big role if that team's going to have any success. And I'll tell you, we uh, we are going to receive some injury information as this week goes. And Zach Ertz might not play week one. And that opens the door for perhaps a 2,900 Trey McBride, which is very interesting. We can talk about that on Thursday's show, though, where we go game by game through the entire slate. And we focus on the stacks we like and the players we like. That is our stacks to attack. That is our bargain bin. We are so, oh, so very close to NFL week one starting Thursday, but really culminating on Sunday. Mike, thanks for all of the info. And we are going to be back in two days to talk about all of these games. Streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.